Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6 is the section we're going to be working from tonight. John says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. We're going to deal with that term second death next week in our study. But for tonight, what I just really want to do is deal with the fact that at the end of the tribulation period, we see that Satan is bound and he's thrown into this pit Uh, And at this point, the false prophet and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of fire directly. They don't go to the abyss. They don't go to Hades. They go straight to the lake of fire. And they were thrown alive into that place. Satan will be eventually thrown there as well. But Satan at this point, for God's purposes, is bound at the end of the tribulation period. And he's thrown into the, the abyss, this bottomless pit that's a place that's been designed for Satan and his followers. And it's a place of torment, as we've already looked at. And he's going to be bound there for a thousand years. So at the end of that seven-year tribulation period, while he's in there, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, they come back to life and they get their new bodies at that time. Now, if you were to take the time to go look at it, we have too much to cover tonight, so I can't take you there. But if you go back and look at Daniel chapter 12, Daniel's given a vision of the last days and all this and what's going to happen at the end. And he was told that he's going to sleep with his fathers until the time of the end when he'll be resurrected back to life and he'll go to his appointed place that he's been given, allotted place. Um, We also at the same time, hopefully if you remember from earlier in our study, at this point the church has already received their new bodies. When do we get our resurrected bodies? At the rapture. At the rapture is when the church is taken to be with the Lord. We get our bodies at that time. Remember Paul talked about that. He said we're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of the eye, mortals are going to take on immortality. We also looked at the fact that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, the scripture says that we're not to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope, but we believe that Jesus died, and we also believe that he rose from the dead, and that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, Their bodies will come up out of the ground. We are alive. We'll be caught up and we'll go be with the Lord. So at the rapture is when we get our new bodies. And the church, as you know, at this point has already been seen in heaven. So, but we have seen that the the scripture teaches that the Old Testament saints, even though Abraham was in the presence of God already, remember Jesus said in John chapter 8 that he had seen Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing his day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, hang on for a second, Jesus, you're only 50, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And they knew what he was talking about. We saw that Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus in Matthew 17 and other places. They're with the Lord. Old Testament saints are with the Lord. But they don't have their resurrected bodies yet. The Bible shows us that they will come to life and they will be reigning with him on the earth for that thousand year period that he's on the earth. But who else comes to life? 
Well, we saw last week that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are also going to be, the Old Testament saints are going to, they're going to be in the kingdom on the earth. But also the Bible shows us here in Revelation 20 that the tribulation saints, those who were beheaded for their faith, we saw that happening here in the tribulation period, and also those who would not take the mark of the beast. So the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will get their new bodies at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom on the earth, they all come back with him, and that's when they get their new bodies, and they're allotted their responsibilities. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, about some of our responsibilities in the kingdom on the earth and what life's going to be like. It's kind of cool. But I just want to do a real quick reminder study tonight with you about the fact that the church has been promised that we're going to come and reign with Jesus on the earth. So go with me to Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> the raptured people, uh, we get our bodies at the rapture. When that happens, we get our bodies, we go be with the Lord, we receive the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll be judged according to what we've done. And that will determine our responsibilities when we come back with Him. The Old Testament saints, they're, they're already with God, but they don't get their new bodies until the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And so when he comes back to set up his kingdom on the earth, the church is coming with him. We've already gotten our bodies, but we'll come with him. But the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will come with him as well, and that's when they get their new bodies at that time. All right? So go to Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 4. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, John says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And if you remember, we, in our study way, way back, we laid out for you that this is the church. And it's clearly the church because of promises Jesus had just made in chapters 2 and 3. Let me remind you of those. Go to Revelation chapter 2 and look at verses 26 and 27. Says the one who conquers, verse 26 of chapter 2, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over who? The nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, and even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And so here the scripture says, those who have faith in Christ, those who, remember, he says in each of these places, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's going to have the, the churches rule over the nations. Keep that in mind. You're going to see it become even more clear tonight in our study. Go to chapter uh, 3, verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We also saw in Revelation, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but in the Revelation message to the churches, he promised them that they're going to have golden crowns and they're going to be clothed in white. And then in chapter 4, we see the 24 thrones around the throne and they're wearing golden crowns and dressed in white. It's the church. They're ruling and reigning with Christ in heaven during this tribulation period, yet when it's time for Jesus to come back to the earth and rule and reign, we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. And as you see on this little handout that I gave you here, there's going to be two branches of government in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be a Gentile branch and there's going to be a Jewish branch. The church and the tribulation saints, I believe the Bible teaches, are going to rule and reign over the Gentile branch. Go ahead. Okay. For those who don't have it, there's, if you raise your hand and you have couples that don't mind splitting, their, if they have two copies, go ahead and do that. But you see that the, the, the church and the tribulation saints are going to rule over the Gentile branch. And we're going to rule over, we just saw it in Revelation chapter 2, who is the church going to rule over? 
the nations, all right, the Gentile branch of the government, if you will. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter two, look at verse 12. The scripture is very clear here, and it says, "If we endure with him, we will also what? Reign with him." Well, folks, when are we going to reign with Christ? When are we going to rule over the nations during the millennial kingdom, during that thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, when he comes back to set up his kingdom? There's going to be, and we'll look at that in just a little bit, a Jewish branch of government, and there's going to be a Gentile branch of government, and we're going to be over the Gentile branch of of government. Uh, Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we're to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So again, he says to them, look, you guys in the church, why are you fighting with each other and and suing each other and going to the courts there on the world? Don't you realize that we're going to rule and judge the world? And we're on, on top of that. And I'll get right to you. On top of that, we're going to judge angels? Why aren't you able to handle simple little cases amongst yourself in the church? Go ahead, your question. How does Paul know this? Galatians chapter 1 tells us these things because remember, Paul was not taught by men. After he got saved, he was sent to the desert of Arabia for three years and he was taught by Jesus face to face. And that's why in Galatians 1 he says, these things I'm sharing with you aren't things that man taught me. But I was received this from the Lord face to face. That's why Paul knew things that the others didn't really know. That's why he kept saying, let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you a mystery. That word mystery means secret. Jesus revealed a lot of stuff to Paul because he had a responsibility to be an ambassador to who? To the Gentiles. He was explaining that I'm, I'm doing something here through this church. And I, your responsibility is even though you're a Jew of Jews, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to explain what my, my purpose is for the church. And that's what Paul's role was. But it's a good question. How would he know? Jesus taught him this stuff face to face when he was with him in the desert of Arabia for three years. All right. Go to Luke chapter 19. Let me show you one more place. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 19. says, As they heard these things, he, meaning Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he quickly wants to tell them a story to help them understand the kingdom is not going to appear right now. All right. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities." And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. 
So I want you to understand that Jesus in this parable is teaching that they thought the kingdom was going to happen right there and then because he was heading to Jerusalem. They thought, well, man, this is when the kingdom is going to happen. And he said, actually, let me explain something to you. Um, I'm going to have to go away for a while and receive the kingdom and then come. In the meantime, though, you've all been given responsibility. And what you do between now when I leave and when I come back will determine your responsibility in the kingdom to come. And if you've been faithful with little, you'll be given much responsibility in the life to come. And so, folks, I just want you to understand that the Bible actually teaches that we've seen it already. We're going to come with Jesus and we're going to reign on the earth with Jesus. We will be in authority over the rest of the world. Us Gentiles, those of us in the church, are going to be over the Gentile nations. As you're about to see, the Jews are going to be over the whole world and especially the nation of Israel, where Jesus is going to be there. And can't wait to show you the cool surprise that some of you maybe have never seen before, which I can't wait to show you tonight. But people have always asked, they say, well, who are we going to reign over? I mean, if we're all coming back with him, don't forget, at the end of the tribulation period, there are still humans that have lived through the tribulation period. If Jesus didn't put it into the tribulation period, no one would live through it, the Bible said. But there are going to be humans that do. And that's what the, what the parable of the sheep and the goats does not apply to the church, but applies to the Gentile nations. He's going to sit on his throne. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and following. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he's going to sit on his throne. He's going to come and sit on his throne. And he's going to gather all the nations and he's going to judge them according to how they treated these brothers of mine. It's Israel. Joel 3 shows us the exact same thing because Joel says it word for word. He's going to gather them all into the valley of Jehoshaphat and judge them according to how they treated Israel. When he says how you treated, how you treated these brothers of mine, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And the, the Gentiles who have been considered righteous because of how they treated Israel during the time that all the world was against Israel... Those are the ones who are going to be given righteousness. They're going to be allowed to populate and live in the millennial kingdom. The Bible also showed us, we've already seen it before in our study a few weeks ago, that he's also going to judge the, the Jews when he comes back. And he's going to have them all pass under his rod. And the righteous Jews will enter the kingdom and the unrighteous Jews will not enter the kingdom. So the, there's going to be Jewish humans on the earth and Gentile humans on the earth who have made it through the tribulation period. And these are the ones who are going to make all these babies. You're going to see that they're going to be marrying and giving in marriage and they're going to be making babies. And that's why at the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to be released and he's going to be able to tempt all these people that are on the earth. As you're going to see tonight, the Bible is going to show us that things during the millennial kingdom are going to be almost like they were back at the time of the garden. And especially right after the after the garden in the fall with the fact that people are going to live 900 years. The Bible, you're going to see tonight, says that if someone dies during this time period at 100 years old, they'll be considered an infant or cursed. You remember back, how, does anybody remember how long Adam lived? 900 and something years. And, and, and for a long time, they lived long periods of time. And then over time, because of what's going on in the world and the earth, sin and curses and disease, people started dying. Now, for a brief period of time, we've lengthened the lifespan of man because of medicine, modern medicine and stuff. But it's going to go back to a time, as you're going to see tonight from Scripture, where people are going to live a long, long time. Things are going to be awesome on the earth. Well, I'm going to ask you a quick question before we move on to the Jewish branch of government. Why will we have to even rule? Why will Jesus have to rule with a rod of iron? Why will, why will there still be sin? Not we. The people, even though Satan's going to be in the pit and not able to deceive the nations, 
those human beings that lived through it still have, they have Adam's DNA still. And there's still going to be sin. It'll be a whole lot less, but there's still going to be sin. And you're going to see, if you keep doing further study, you're going to see that the Bible says that if nations don't come and bring their sacrifice to the Lord in Jerusalem at the time they're supposed to, He won't let it rain on their land during that time period. And He's going to be setting up righteousness and showing it on the earth. But again, it's going to still reveal that apart from God, there's no such thing as righteousness. And that's why at the end of that thousand years, so many people have been born. Satan's allowed to tempt multitudes to come fight against Jesus. And we'll get to that next week. Go ahead. Will Christ be able to be in the presence of sin in this new millennial kingdom? Why not? We've always had this mindset that he can't be in the presence of sin. Yet, didn't he walk on the earth and live among men? And people say, well, uh, God can't be in the presence of evil. Satan still appears before God and accuses the brethren. There'll be a point in the midpoint of the tribulation where he's cast out of heaven down to the earth. But he can be in the presence of sin because the Bible actually says there's nowhere you go than the earth and he's not there. If you go up there, he's there. You go down there, he's there. He'll have no problem being in the presence of sin. He's already done it. Good question, though. Go ahead. Okay, explain your question. I mean, Jewish believers now, if they're, if they're a Christian, if they're a believer now, they're a part of the church age. Okay. They're a part of the church. So, yeah. But that doesn't mean that they will rule over the Gentile nations. They're, if they're Jews, they're going to rule over, over the Jewish nations. And let me show you what that means. Let me explain this to you. Go with me to Deuteronomy 15. <clears throat> you see, back in Deuteronomy, when God brought the nation of Israel into the promised land... He offered them promises that he knew ultimately weren't going to be fulfilled until he came back himself. But he offered them the kingdom right there and then. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, I'm going to show you in chapter 15 and chapter 28, I'm going to show you a couple of promises God made to the nation of Israel that ultimately won't be fulfilled until he comes back and sets up his kingdom on the earth. But look what he told the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 15 verse 6. He says, for the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. By the way, how's that worked out for Israel? Because of their disobedience, because they didn't keep the promise in the co- of the covenant that God said, if you do this, I'm going to make it so that you rule over the nations. Because they didn't, they were sent into captivity. They had been gone back and forth. And even when they're in their land, they weren't in control. Even in the time of Jesus, the Romans were in authority over them. It's not until that the kingdom comes that they will actually be over the rest of the nations. Go to Deuteronomy 28, and I'll show you in verses 1 through 6 a little bit more along this line. In Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 1. God says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. He again said, you're going to be over all the other nations. But again, they didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. What makes it different then when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth and the Jews are over all the other nations? What's going to be the difference? Does anybody know what what it is? I mean, because he offered it to them, and they didn't do so good. How come 
that's going to work when he comes back. They're his people, now they're filled with their spirit, right? Very good answer, John. The promise is in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Let me show you real quick. Go to Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. By the way, I love how God clarifies and makes us know that this is not talking about the church. Because you could build a doctrine that says that not all who are of Abraham are of Israel. Because the Bible says that in Romans, doesn't it? But those are of faith. And that's where some people try to say, well, the church now has replaced Israel. No, no, no. He didn't say just Israel, did he here? He said of Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is the southern kingdom. He's clarifying, I'm going to make a, prom, a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah. We may try to say we're of Israel, but we're not of Judah. He's talking about the Jews. All right. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. All right. He's going to put his law in their hearts at that time when he in the latter days fulfills this promise. Go to Ezekiel 36. It's even more clear in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God told the nation of Israel. There's going to be a time coming when I'm going to erase all your sin and I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to move you to obey my commands and my rules. Why is it going to be different during the millennial kingdom? Because God will put his spirit within them and he's going to move them to follow his commands. Oh, by the way, please don't miss this. Doesn't the Bible say that we in the church have been given the promises made to Israel, the promises that Israel are going to get fulfilled in the kingdom, that they're ours now? That's what Paul said in his message to the Gentiles. Let me tell you a secret. Let me tell you something that wasn't revealed in previous generations. It's the mystery of the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory. On top of that, the, the promises for it, you're co-heirs. You're partakers of the promises to Israel. In other words, God has taken a group of people like us who weren't even seeking him. And he drew us by his spirit and he forgave our sin. And he put his spirit in us and he's moving us to follow his decrees. Why? To make Israel jealous. We've been given these promises now, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen to Israel. Too many people have read those promises and just tried to jump it to the church, and they don't understand 
This was made to the nation of Israel and the people of Judah, just in case you're curious and you get confused. We've been given it now. It's a wonderful thing. But when he comes back and he saves Israel, those that are left, he's going to put his spirit within them and they will obey his commands. And all those promises of them ruling over the nations and him blessing them are all going to happen. All right. Let me show you one more passage, Isaiah 14, and then we'll start looking at uh, something cool. Isaiah chapter 14. And again, something you might not have ever seen before. Isaiah chapter 14, look at verses 1 and 2. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. By the way, this is going to get almost comical tonight how much you're going to hear. God says he's going to gather them from all the nations and put them back in their land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob and the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's hand, Lord's land as male and female slaves. And they will take captive those who are their captors and rule over those who oppress them. You see it? He's going to bring them back into their land and they're going to be over all the nations. And not only that, the Gentile nations are going to be glad for it. And they're going to help them get back into the land when this all happens. And he's going to use them as the servants to the nation of Israel. Now, last week we saw, and I already touched on it before we started our recording, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be in the kingdom. Remember Jesus said, many are going to come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and they're going to sit at the table in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've already looked at that. And hopefully you believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be in the kingdom. But did you know that King David will have a prominent place in the future kingdom as well? I mean, this is the David that killed Goliath. This is the David that slept with Bathsheba. This is the same David that wrote many of your Psalms. This is King David. And wait till I show you how many times in the Bible the scriptures have told us that David, King David, is actually going to come back to life and be alive on this earth and rule from Jerusalem with Jesus as as his prince. Jesus is going to be Lord but David's going to be his prince. You say, come on. Well, go to Jeremiah chapter 30. And when we're done looking at all these passages, I'm going to deal with how come we've never seen this. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, That day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. 
Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I have scattered you. But of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. So here we see that he's going to, in those days, as he takes the nation of Israel through what we call the time of Jacob's trouble, he's going to save them through that time, and he's going to raise up David. He's going to be their Lord and their God, but David's going to be their king. But again, as I've hopefully taught you, don't build your doctrine on one verse. If this is right, it'll be backed up by Scripture. So let's go see if the Scripture backs it up. Go to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 24. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat, and the strong I'll destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and drink, and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust, thrust it all the week with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David." And he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. By the way, I hope you do realize that when Jeremiah and Ezekiel were writing this, David had been long gone. He had died long before this. Yet the prophecy, now we've seen three times already, but wait, there's more. We've already seen three times that God has literally said that he's going to come back and be the shepherd and he's going to rule over the nation of Israel. He's going to gather them back into the land and David is going to be his prince ruling with him. Go to Ezekiel 37. Look at verses 15 to 28. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him and take another stick and write on it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel associated with him. That's the two kingdoms again, northern and southern. And join them one to another in one stick that they may become one in your hand. 
And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what this mean, what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm about to take the stick of Joseph that's in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him. And I will join it with the stick of Judah and make them one stick that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone. And I will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. Is this starting to sound a little redundant, a little repetitive? Keeps going over and over. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. And I will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to do to obey my statutes and they shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever and David my servant shall be their prince forever I will make a covenant of peace with them and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Do you see clearly God keeps saying I'm going to be their God and David is going to be their prince. So now you can see a little bit why the Jews kind of thought that when Jesus came, they were missing the point that there was some of the prophecies were talking about Jesus and they were thinking it was referring to David. And that's why the, 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 when the, the, the early church apostles were preaching at the day of Pentecost and following, they had to clarify for them and say, look, when the scripture talked about, I will not let my Holy One see decay, they weren't talking about David because David died and his body rotted. Yet, the one that was talking about, I won't let my Holy One see decay, he was in the tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead. And they had to say, it wasn't talking about David there, it was talking about Jesus. But the Jews were expecting David to come back. And that's why the prophets, had to, or the, the, the apostles had to say, but the Messiah is not David. The Messiah is Jesus. But why? Because the scripture clearly says again here, twice. So we've seen it now how many times? Five times. Once in Jeremiah, twice in Ezekiel 34, twice in Ezekiel 37. But wait, there's more. Go to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a an omer and a litha of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and shall seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. 
So let me ask you this question. Is it kind of clear that the Bible says six times that David is going to be ruling in Jerusalem with Jesus? Pretty clear, isn't it? Actually, I could show you more, and actually some of the, on your little handout, you'll see that it talks about David being there, and it lists some other scriptures we haven't looked at. Those other ones that I don't, didn't take you to don't say the word David, but they say my prince. And when you put it in the full context, you'll see that the, my prince is David. So how come we've never seen this? I mean, I'm talking to people that love their Bibles, that have been reading their Bibles, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I can guarantee you almost 80% of you have probably never seen that. And it's pretty clear. How come? Well, let me tell you partially the reason why. For the longest time, the church has taught that there was no millennial kingdom. The amillennial view is that the kingdom's now. So if you believe that there is no literal coming kingdom on the earth, what are you going to do with most of the Old Testament? You're not going to teach it. Oh, you're going to talk about David and Goliath, and you're going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're going to talk about Samson and Delilah, and you're going to tell the Old Testament Bible stories, but when it comes to actually teaching through the books of the Bible and preaching Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Hosea, we've never heard many messages from the book of Ezekiel, have we? We've never heard many messages through the whole book of Hosea or these books that talk about the kingdom to come because if you don't believe there's an actual coming kingdom, you don't know what to do with these verses. So you just go, let's just leave it alone and deal with the stuff that makes sense to us. And that's why the church, for the most part, hasn't been taught this stuff. And so I just want to challenge you. My prayer is that hopefully through you starting to see some of this stuff, you'll want to go back and really start to take a look at some of these Old Testament books that you've never really read before. And I hope that through what we've been doing, you'll all of a sudden get excited because the books will start to make a lot of sense. And you'll start to realize, you know what? Revelation's not a book by itself that was added on later on, but all Revelation did was compile the Old Testament and put it in an order for us. Because if you had read the Old Testament and knew the Old Testament, as you read the book of Revelation, you'd go, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, those are all, that was all written. There's nothing there, really anything that's really new. And Revelation wouldn't have been so confusing. But unfortunately, as I travel around the country, most churches don't even deal with the book of Revelation. And most pastors just avoid it because it's controversial and nobody really understands it. You know why? Because there's a whole section here in the first half of your Bible you haven't read. And so, folks, I hope that you're encouraged and challenged to go dig some more. Okay. <laughs> but the thing is, like, when I read some of these Old Testament passages, I've always thought of them applying to that time. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about them applying to the future. Right. But the problem is, can you show me any time in the Bible? And by the way, for those that are listening online and couldn't hear what, what Tony just said, she said the reason why she struggled with some of those Old Testament passages, she thought they applied to that time period. She didn't really see them as applying to the future. My question then would be, when did any of those things happen back at that time? You see what I'm saying? If, if you're going to apply it to that time, show me when that happened. As we looked at the nation of Israel's history, they haven't been over the nations at all, have they? Uh, they were a light to the nations for a time period. And during the time of David's kingdom and Solomon's kingdom, he blessed them like he said he would. But for the most part, they weren't over the other nations. 
They were in fear of the nation of Israel for the most part, but they hadn't ruled over them. And for most of their history, they were under everybody else's rule. So you'd have to look at it and say, okay, what time period is this talking about? It can't be then. And as you're about to see, I gave you another handout. And I want that kind of makes a wonderful transition, by the way, uh, to where we're going next. I'll give you another handout here, as we're going to get to in the time we have left here. I give you two maps here. And the one on the left is actually where, where the, the tribes were and when they first went into the land at the time of Joshua. As you're going to see later on at the end of our study tonight, the map on the right is where the prophecy in Ezekiel 47 and 48 clearly says each of the tribes are going to be in the millennial kingdom. And they're not the same. And the area of land is also not in the exact same areas as well. And so we'll get into that in just a little bit. There are too many things that have not happened in the Old Testament that they have to be future. All right. So let me point out a couple of things real quick before we get into the maps. I want to show you how the Bible actually talks about how during this time period, not only will uh, the nation of Israel be ruling and reigning over the nations and will be reigning as well. Uh, just write this down later on. You can look at it. You've got it on that little handout. In Matthew 19, 27 through 30, and Luke 22, 28 through 30, Jesus told his 12 apostles, you will be sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 apostles. I'm sorry? Luke, Matthew 19, 27 through 30, Luke 22, 28 through 30. And, that's, and they're on that little handout and... and, and uh, um, Allison has some more in the back if you need them. But the 12 apostles are going to be ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom. Jesus says that to him word for word in those two places. But I also want to just show you how the Bible also talks about, I'm going to hit this fast because I want to get everything in tonight. The Bible also talks about during this time on the earth, God's going to kind of restore it back to almost what it was in the garden. It won't be exactly like it was in the garden because there still will be sin on the earth. But it's going to be a wonderful time where God is just blessing and the curse on the earth is going to be removed. Because as you remember, in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and following, the scripture says that creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Because creation was subjected to frustration, not by, willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, God did. In the hopes that it would be released from its bondage to decay. And during the, this time of the millennial kingdom, the earth is going to be released from its curse as well. And it's just going to be an amazing time. And actually, you won't be afraid of animals. And that's kind of cool for me because there's a lot of them I'm afraid of. Not just snakes. Gators. I'm not afraid of spiders as much. But you know what I'm really afraid of? Horses. I don't know why. Horses scare me to death. I get anywhere near a horse, I'm thinking this guy could kill me just in a second. So I just want to get anywhere near him. I'm a little bit afraid of cows, but not as bad as I am of horses. Go to Ezekiel 34. Go to Ezekiel 34 and start looking at what the scripture says about this day to, these days to come. Ezekiel 34, verses 25 through 31. God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Wouldn't camping be fun if you didn't have to worry about the bears? And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing and I will send down the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. 
And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, with them. And they are the house of Israel. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pastor. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. Go to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make a valley of the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there, shall, there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make them for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creatures keeping things to the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war, and war from the land, and I'll make you lie down in safety, and I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. There shall come from, from forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. For righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall pray over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. i got to be honest with you. going to have to be a miracle of God in the, in the millennial kingdom before I'll be able to put my hand over a cobra hole. I had the privilege of teaching in Thailand a few years back, and I had the privilege of teaching 200 pastors for a week. And while I was there in Thailand, they took me to one of these places where they do the cobra shows. And I said, no thanks. They're like, no, everybody wants to see this. And I'm like, I've seen where you do it. There's nothing between me and the snake. And I wouldn't do it. I just would not go to the cobra show. Because, I mean, if it got loose, I was in trouble. And I, and I don't run as fast as other people. So, But the Lord says that in that time, there's going to be no fear of those animals. Now, 
we'll give you one more passage. You can go look at it later on. It's Isaiah 65, verses 18 through 25. Go ahead and write that down. Isaiah 65, verses 18 through 25. And that's when it actually talks about how there's going to be a peace with the animals. And at the same time, if someone dies at 100 years old during that time, they're going to be considered cursed or just a baby because people are going to live a long time. But I just want to point out to you the importance of building what you believe and what you, what you understand from the Scriptures. You see, back when God created things in the garden and he created the earth, and even in the days until after the flood, the animals just ate grass. And if you, if you really know what your Bible said, it wasn't until Genesis chapter 9 that God put a fear of man in the animals. And man was allowed to go eat the animals and the animals began to eat each other. That was after the flood. And actually after that time period, man didn't live as long. We've always seen the movies of Noah gathering the animals into the ark. And don't we see him dragging the lions and the tigers on the rope and they're all going, Arr. it wasn't that way. If you go back in Genesis, you'll see that God had all the animals come by Adam and he named them. When you look at the scriptures, when Noah gathered two of every kind of animal in the ark, there was no wrestling match. He didn't have to worry about the lions and the tigers eating him because it wasn't going to be an issue. Because that's pre-Genesis 9. Animals didn't go after man. There was no fear. And I personally, I think the scriptures kind of point to the fact that man was able to talk with the animals. Have you ever read some of C.S. Lewis's writings? I think he's closer to what it's really going to be like than we think. It was no big deal for God to have Balaam's donkey talk, was it? And let's be honest. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve was talking to the snake, she didn't go, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be talking. It was no big deal for her to have a conversation with an animal. I personally think that there's going to be some communication between us and the animals. Who knows, maybe part of the curse that the animals are under as a part of creation is the fact that they used to be able to talk. You ever had a dog that you swore was trying to tell you something? And you almost can see it in their eyes like, ah! I don't know this, but there's enough scripture to say, folks, let me just tell you, when Jesus comes and restores things and fulfills the promises that he said he would keep, it's going to be an amazing time on this earth. We've all been taught, and I'll get right to you, we've all been taught you die and you go to heaven. We've never been taught the fact that there's a time period still on this earth between when we die and when we go be with the Lord. And you're going to see when we get to next week, we don't go to heaven. God comes to live with us. He makes a whole, at the end of the thousand years, he makes a whole new planet. There's no oceans, there's no sea. The stars and everything above are going to be different. The heavens are going to be different. And God comes and dwells with us here. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. The Bible doesn't say what happens to those who die during the millennial kingdom unless they're unrighteous. If they're unrighteous, they just go waiting until the time of the judgment of all the unrighteous. If they're righteous and they die during that time period, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say what happens to them. There's, you almost lean toward that they don't. There's almost, and almost, you can't prove it, but you almost lean toward the fact that the, the, the righteous don't die. The humans, we won't. We can't. Yes, sir. Will, will humans be vegetarians again? Uh, that's a really good question. People have said, you know, I had one man come up to me after the study last night, and he goes, man, Jim, you and I love our barbecue. Are you saying during the millennial kingdom we're not, not going to eat animals? We'll go back to being vegetarians? 
the only thing that makes me lean with hope that we'll still be able to eat meat, because I'm a 1 Kings 17 man where God told Elijah, rise, uh, he brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And of course, Peter was told, rise, kill and eat. Um, but those are my favorite. I've got those embroidered. And uh, <laughs> the thing that makes me lean toward the fact that we'll eat meat is this. The Bible talks about there'll be animal sacrifices during the millennial kingdom. I'll be picking up the scraps. I think that we still will be able to eat meat personally because of the fact that there'll be animal sacrifices. And if you do a study of the Old Testament, you'll see that when they were to give their animal sacrifices, they were allowed to eat it. They were actually to eat it with the Lord. It was kind of interesting. They were to bring their animal sacrifices and they would offer their sacrifices and then they were to stay there and worship and eat with the Lord as they brought their sacrifice. Go ahead. Why do they have sacrifices? Great question. One's always been asked by everybody. Since Christ has already made the final sacrifice, why will there be sacrifices during the millennial kingdom? And the Bible clearly says that there will be. The only answer that anybody can honestly give is it's probably like our Lord's Supper. What's the purpose of the Lord? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? To remember. And so my guess would be that that's the purpose of it. That was a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And it might be the only place you can get meat. Again, I'll be hanging around. All right. Jim, yes, ma'am. What's going to happen if there's no sea? What about all those animals that are in the sea? Well, if you understand, when I talked about there's no sea, that's after the millennial kingdom for the, in the new heaven and the new earth for the eternal state. So most likely it won't be sea animals during that time period. But you're jumping ahead. That's next week. All right. <laughs> Go with me real quick to Ezekiel chapter 40. What I'm going to do is do this as fast as I can. We've got about six minutes left. Go to Ezekiel chapter 40. I'm just going to mainly just have you look at the headings. We won't have time to read any of these passages. But I want you in your own time to go and read all through Ezekiel chapter 40 all the way through chapter 48. But we see in chapter 40 that there's going to be a new temple. During the millennial kingdom. It's going to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to rule and reign from there. The Bible then goes on and says, as you keep reading later on, you'll see it when you go to chapter 46, I think it is. 47. You'll see that all of a sudden from underneath the temple comes this river. And it starts flowing from underneath the temple toward the Dead Sea. And Ezekiel's taken out in it, and at this distance, for this measurement, it's only ankle deep. But then over this distance, it gets knee deep, and then waist deep, and then it gets so big you can't get across it. And it flows into the Dead Sea, and the Bible says it's going to turn the Dead Sea totally fresh. And that whole area is just going to come to life like you wouldn't believe. But the Bible also says that there will still be swampy areas that will be salty, but the, fresh water, this will be fre the Dead Sea will be fresh water. And it's just going to be an amazing, amazing time. If you were to go back and take a look at... Uh, um, uh, chapter 45, verses 7 and following. What does your heading say there? The portion for who? Who's the prince? It's David. Actually, as you take a look at chapter 47, starting in verse 13, you'll see that here's the boundaries, which you'll divide the land for inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, Joseph's going to have two portions, and you'll divide equally what I swore to give your fathers. The land shall fall to you as your inheritance. And here's going to be the boundary of the land. And it talks about where the north part's going to be, what the eastern border is going to be, what the western border is going to be, what the southern border is going to be. You do a study and you look at the maps, you're going to see it's way more than they have now. 
It's a lot more than they have now. And actually, if you go back all the way to Genesis, you would actually see that God promised Abraham way back that all that land. They never fully got it. Now, we've got to do this fast because a lot of you will hear people use this, and I really have to show it to you. Put a bookmark in Ezekiel 47 and 48. Go with me real quickly to Joshua chapter 21. Those who are of all millennial view will always say this, and they'll take you to Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. In Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45, listen to what it says. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So the Amalekites will say, wait a minute, Jim, this proves that there's no future land giving because here the scripture says they already got all the land that God had promised them and everything he had promised them had come to pass. Sure reads like that, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to take this section by itself, they've got a real provable point because it sure looks like they'd already gotten everything they were supposed to get. That's why you don't build your doctrine from one passage of scripture, but you've got to check that against the whole of scripture to see if this is accurate. All right. First off, if you were to turn over to Judges, all right, that's near the end of the book of Joshua. Turn over to the book of Judges. You're going to see in chapter one of the book of Judges, the continuing conquest of Canaan. They're actually going to get more land. Well, why are they getting more land if God had already given them all the land? Actually, you're going to see that that passage is talking about the fact that everything that God had for them at that point, he gave to them. But didn't we already read in Jeremiah and Ezekiel? That in the latter days, God's going to go and gather them from all the nations and bring them into the land? Let me ask you a question then. Did Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesy before Joshua 21 verses 43 or after? So why are they prophesying under the Spirit of God that there's going to be more land if they've already got all the land? That can't be a correct interpretation of Joshua 21 verses 43 through 45. Do you see what I'm saying? But they will love to take a verse and say, look, that can't be a future land because they already says they already got it all. I then say to those people, okay, then how do you explain they're still getting more land in the book of Judges and the prophets saying there's going to be more land? And especially in Ezekiel, when you look at Ezekiel 47 and 48, a future inheritance of the land. Joshua couldn't be talking about everything already being fulfilled at that time. There must be something there that we're missing. I lean toward the fact that that is saying that everything that God had for them at that time, they got. Because if you look, if you look at your map, you got the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh in the map on the left. This is the Joshua conquest. Remember the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh? They saw land on the east side of the Jordan. They said, "Hey, this is good for our our, our, our flocks and our herds. Can we just have this?" And Moses lit them. And he told their fighting men to cross over and help their brothers get what they are supposed to get and then come back. But we see that in Ezekiel 47 and 48, you'll see the 12 tribes of Israel. Clearly, they're going to start from Dan being in the north all the way down to Gad being in the south. And it clearly says what their borders are going to be. And actually between Judah and Benjamin is going to be the prince's portion. And it's all there. And there's actually going to be a place for the Levites there as well. Because people have said, what about the Levites? They're not listed there. Well, actually they are if you keep reading in chapters 47 and 48. The Bible is very clear that there is a time coming when there's going to be a new temple. And that temple description and the description of the temple in Ezekiel 40 and all that following is totally different from any other temple that we've ever seen yet. It isn't like Solomon's temple. It's not like Zerubbabel's temple. 
temple. It's not like the temple that Herod helped, which he added on to Zerubbabel's temple. It's not like any temple we've seen before. The question is, is it the, the tribulation temple that the Antichrist steps into that has been cleansed? Don't know. I lean toward it's a different temple. Because we don't have time, but I could show you a passage in Zechariah where the Bible actually says that Jesus is going to build the temple. And the Bible actually says that the nations are going to help build it. So I lean toward the millennial temple there in Ezekiel 40 being a different temple. One that Jesus builds and the nations help build. And like I said, it's just going to be an amazing, amazing time. And do you see why I could go another whole week on the millennial kingdom? And we don't ever hear anybody talk about the millennial kingdom. But please don't forget that after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples for 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom of God, the disciples' immediate question was, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' teaching must have been about a future. It's going to happen. And he told them, not for you to know the times or the dates. You're going to be my witnesses. What's the purpose of the church, folks? Why are we here? Why have we been saved? Why are we in this time period? To make Israel jealous. And we just thank God that he let us be a part of it. Isn't that awesome that he lets us be a part of it? And when he's done with the, using us to make Israel jealous, he's going to come and take us to be with him. And then when he comes back and sets up the kingdom on the earth from Jerusalem, remember, we've already read about it. Every, there's going to be an earthquake that levels everything on the whole globe. Jerusalem's going to be split in three parts, and the center part's going to raise up as the highest. Jesus will come back and rule from Jerusalem. David will rule with him. Twelve apostles will rule over the twelve tribes. We're going to be ruling over the nations so how faithful you are in the time that you are here will be determining how much reward and responsibility you have in the kingdom to come. Yes, ma'am. Who will be the 12th apostle? Who will be the 12th apostle? The answer is Jesus knows. It may be Matthias, you know, because it's obvious to me that the Lord determined that Matthias would be the one that replaced Judas. But some people try to make it Paul. But I lean toward the fact that it won't be Paul. I think, I, think, I think it may be Matthias personally. But guess what? Lord knows. And we'll find out soon. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.